0: Bible and go to John Chapter Four, please. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for sending Jesus to seek, not to wait and see who might seek you, but to come to us. I pray that you would allow us through your word here to see and hear Jesus lifted up and you might draw each of our hearts to him. We pray in his name. Amen. This is our fourth message in our study of biblical worship and Um, If you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go back and make sure you catch anything you missed. If you missed last Sunday's message from Psalm 95 and 96, make sure you you hear that. We've laid some foundation from the Old Testament, but now it's time for us to move ahead in the story and come to Christ. So John chapter 4, we're going to look at just this one story from the life of Christ uh, in relationship to worship, but it it beautifully teaches and illustrates true worship through Jesus Christ. In this story, we are going to see the longest individual conversation conversation with Jesus that is was ever recorded. We're going to see Jesus first direct claim to be the Messiah. We're going to see Jesus first I am statement. There's also a village revival a clear confession of Jesus as Savior, and the first person who went beyond the Jews to tell others about Jesus. All of that, which came through a conversation that no one thought should have ever even happened. A conversation between a Samaritan woman and Jesus. He was traveling with his disciples, headed northward in Israel, and John 4, verse 4 says... He had to pass through Samaria. He had to. Well, it was the shortest route, that's true. But the real reason why he had to was because he had to have this conversation with this woman at the well. Verse 5, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sixth hour probably refers to the heat of the middle of the day. Around noon, Jesus stopped to rest at this well that was historically connected all the way back to the time of Jacob. But he didn't have any kind of bucket or jar to draw water from the well. So, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. All right, let's pause there. The Samaritans had Jewish ancestry. But several hundred years before this, they had intermarried with the Assyrians, and so from the Jewish perspective, the Samaritans were racially compromised. So there was, first of all, a racism issue here. Then there were also religious issues. The Samaritans only accepted the first part of the Jewish scriptures, and they believed that the true worship of God was at a mountain, Mount Gerizim, in Samaria, rather than in Jerusalem. So there was uh, plenty of bad blood here. You were basically, they were basically raised to uh, hate each other. Um, they also had the memory of a time when the Jews had destroyed the, the Samaritan temple. So when this Jewish man spoke to this Samaritan woman, she was shocked that a Jew would even speak to a Samaritan. But she was also shocked that he would speak to a woman in this situation. See that in verse 9? She doesn't, she doesn't just say, how is it that you're asking a drink from a Samaritan? She says, a woman of Samaria. Jewish rabbinical tradition said, a man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. Now, in theory, that was about appropriateness. In reality, it was more often about a disdainful view of women. We know from other writings that it was considered a waste of time to spend very long talking to a woman, and an even greater waste of time to spend very long talking to a woman about anything important, because surely she would have nothing of value to say. Not only that, but Jewish rabbis decided that Samaritan women, in particular, were perpetually unclean. So, to speak to this woman, Jesus had to break through boundaries of racism, culture, and ceremony. And he did. Rebecca McLaughlin writes, The way that Jesus treated women tore up the pervasive belief that women are innately inferior to men. It was shocking that Jesus would talk to her. But then, Jesus told her that there was something even more shocking than that. He was asking her for water, when in reality, she ought to be asking him for water. Well, now that's confusing. She was the one with the water jar, not him. Why would she ask him for water? But that's exactly what he said. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You're amazed that I would ask you for water. What's more amazing is that you're not asking me for water. She had no idea what he meant. But he was starting to give her clues. You see that in verse 10? Like he referred to the gift of God. What's that? And he also referred to living water. Now, most literally, living water would be water that's not from a well. It's water that's flowing from a spring or a river or something like that. What, what was he talking about? Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's just saying, why would I ask you for water? You have no way to get water. This is not that hard. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So basically, she's saying, who do you think you are? And you can hear the suspicion in her voice and she had good reason to be suspicious because she was living in a culture where men took everything they could get from women. Much like today, though maybe in some different forms. And it was so... It was probably hard for her to imagine a man who wanted to do something other than use her and move on. But Jesus was not there to get but to give. He was not just a man. He was the son of God, fully God and fully man. He was the righteous judge and yet friend of sinners, the powerful creator and yet gentle and lowly, the king and yet a servant, the one who will rule with a rod of iron and yet a bruised reed he would not break and a faintly burning wick he would not quench. So if we could just insert ourselves into the story for just a moment, we could answer her question. Yes, Jesus is greater than your father, Jacob. But here's what Jesus said, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, he probably pointed at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So he can't be talking about literal water, right? And then he says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. Not just a well, but a spring welling up to eternal life. There it is. The water that he's talking about is the gift of eternal life. Bible teaches that all people are sinners. All people are characterized by death because of sin in two ways. First, we have dying bodies. Your one guarantee in life is death. But second, we are spiritually dead because of our sin. That means that our sin has separated us from God. We don't know God and love God like we should, and we face his judgment for eternity. Jesus is the only one with a solution for both kinds of death, both physical death and spiritual death. He gives eternal life. And in a little while, I'll talk more about why. And that, that life, even though it has the word eternal in front of it, which I'll talk about later, eternal life is not just a thing for the future. It is a new life that begins now and changes our lives now. It gives us new purpose and new motives and new strength and new perspectives and new comfort and new hope every day. So the gift that he's talking about giving her, the, the living water is the water of life. It is eternal life. But she still didn't understand that at all. She's still just thinking physically. Just like Nicodemus in the previous chapter, John 3, when Jesus told him you have to be born again, and all he can think about is that physically. Like, what in the world are you talking about? That's what she's still thinking. What, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Here's what she's thinking. She's thinking, you are crazy. But sure, go ahead, give me this living water so I don't have to keep trudging out here. Go ahead, I'll take it. you going to run plumbing to my house or something? But she actually needed more than just an easier way to get water. I mean, he could have run 21st century plumbing to her house, and she still would have been a deeply burdened woman. Getting water every day was a pain, but it was hardly the most important of her burdens. And there's something parallel there to today where people are looking for life hacks and conveniences and cool tools and a better phone and Pinterest ideas and Instagram tips, anything to make life easier and more comfortable. None of those things can provide a solution for death, spiritually or physically. So how could Jesus get her to think about her bigger burdens? her needs that were bigger than just an easier way to go get water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So, this woman either had a very tragic past or a very troubling past. I think the, intent, the, the description here is probably intentionally ambiguous about that. First, it's possible that her relationships with men had been tragic. Marriage was necessary for women in that time. To not be married was to starve or be a slave or be a prostitute. And so many women married very young, sometimes to much older men. And so it is possible that this woman had seen a sequence of husbands die, and maybe the man that she was now with was just simply for her survival. It's also possible that a sequence of men had used her and then divorced her. Divorce was almost entirely up to men at this time. As one New Testament scholar has written, the first century culture in the Roman Empire was a culture of dominance. Rulers dominated their subjects patrons, their clients, masters, their slaves, men, their women. So she may have had a tragic past. It's also possible that she had a very troubling past, seeking after one man after another. In verses 16 through 18, the word translated husband is itself a little ambiguous. That word could also be translated simply man. Maybe she went from one man to another, and the man she had now wasn't even her man. Maybe she was at the well in the middle of the day because no other women would have anything to do with her. I don't know. But either way, there was a tremendous amount of pain and brokenness in her life. She didn't merely need an easier way to get water. She needed hope and restoration and dignity and purpose. She needed the kind of new life that only Jesus can give. And maybe that's you today as well. We don't know the details of her life, but Jesus did, and he came not to use her, but to bring her the gift of God. So after Jesus helped her consider, remember her greater burdens, verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, You could see Mount Gerizim from there where they're talking. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, this must be a diversion. We know from a few verses later that her head was absolutely spinning, that Jesus knew everything about her. Inside, she's thinking, how in the world can this man know all about me? On the outside, she stays cool, and she's just going to push that heat lamp away. That's interesting that you know all about me, not that I care or anything. Uh, But hey, I mean, if you're a prophet, what about this, like, conflict between our people and the Jews about about where we ought to worship? I mean, it was a masterful hide-in-your-shell kind of diversion right there. That doesn't mean, however, that she wasn't curious about the answer to the question, who's right, the Jews or us, about this worship thing? Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. One thing I love about this moment is that Jesus was not afraid to confront her. And that's especially interesting because he's treating her with so much dignity and so much respect. He's treating her in a way that women were not treated. And yet, actually, part of that dignity and respect was to not pander to her, but to tell her, you know what, when it comes to this Samaritan Jew thing, you're wrong. (laughs) The Jews actually have the scriptures right and the place of worship right, and you've missed it, and you don't know what you're worshiping. He was actually showing respect for her by telling her the truth. She was in the darkness, and she needed the light, And the Jews were right about the scriptures and the temple. And yet, there in verse 21, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. We'll see why that is in just a minute. But first, can we step out of the story for a second? Then think about how many people think that true worship is about a particular place or a particular priesthood in the room or particular actions. And they're really confident that they're worshiping As long as they go to the right place, do the right things, pay money, light candles, kneel, stand, read, sing, they think that the place or the rituals mean that they are okay with God. And that is not the way it works. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Okay, so Jesus here is obviously describing something about worship that was changing. He says the hour is coming. When, when the Gospel of John refers to the hour, it's talking about the time of Jesus' death and then resurrection and, and return to heaven. So the change was happening because Jesus was here and was soon going to die and rise again. Jesus says the hour is not only coming, it is now here because Jesus had come. Jesus was standing right in front of her after centuries of waiting. Jesus had come. The hour of change had arrived. And so this explains verse 21 when he said neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Why? Because now that Jesus has come, you worship God through Jesus. Jesus is actually the true temple. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. So if you want to come to God, if you want to meet God, if you want to have a right relationship with God, which you must have, be spiritually alive, then you come through Jesus. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Mount Gerizim over here, Jerusalem over there, that's not how it works now. Candles over here, cathedral over here, pagoda over here, shrine over there, its not how it works. Now you worship through Jesus, the true temple, the true meeting place of God and man. This is also what Jesus is talking about in verse 23 when he says that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, we'll talk about spirit and truth for a couple minutes, but but let's not lose sight of the main point in the passage, which is that Jesus is the true temple where we meet God. What people need is not the right place of worship, but Jesus. They need eternal life and the gift of God and the living water through Jesus. Now, one little caveat here, this is not teaching then that no one needs church, that everyone just privately knows God through Jesus all alone at home. That's not at all the point of this. Because once a person comes to receive living water through Jesus in eternal life, all of a sudden their eyes are open to what God's doing in the world and God's family in the world and the church where God gathers his family together to love and worship Jesus. And so people who, who receive the living water through Jesus don't go back home and say, oh good, I never have to go to church again for the rest of my life. They say, where are the other people who love Jesus? I got to I I be with them to, to worship Jesus and learn and grow in him. So the point isn't that everyone should just worship all alone at home. The point is that true worship is not about a particular location or ritual, but about truly knowing God through Jesus Christ. That's the point. So let's talk about worship in spirit and truth, because that that is the same point. So first of all, spirit. Spirit is referring to new spiritual life through Jesus. The chapter right before this, John 3 Jesus taught that we must be born again. And that's just referring to having new spiritual life rather than the spiritual death that we talked about earlier. And Jesus said in John 3 that it is God's Spirit who works in us and gives us spiritual life. And he also said that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Spirit. We don't have time to get into all of that this morning. But to worship in spirit is to worship as a person who is spiritually alive by the Spirit of God. That's what it means to worship in spirit. A person who has received the living water, the gift of eternal life, and they are spiritually alive. And so then they can worship God who is spirit. There is no true worship until a person has been born again, receiving new spiritual life, no matter how amazing the building is, no matter how fancy the robes are, no matter how strong the incense is, or how ancient the tradition is. No one can worship God except through the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. Okay, so wait a second. Do we receive the living water of eternal life through the Spirit or through Jesus? And the answer is both. God's Spirit does it. He makes us alive. And there are many weaknesses to this analogy, but maybe in a little way, he's a bit like the midwife for new birth. But that new birth is possible because of what Jesus did. The Spirit accomplishes it based on what Jesus did. We can receive new life. We can be born again because Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. The sting of death is sin. We die as sinners, and then we face God for our sin. But Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin in our place. Then he rose, conquering death forever. And so Jesus gives the living water of eternal life because he defeated death by dying for our sin, and he defeated death by rising again. So then, based on the work of Jesus, the Spirit causes us to be born again to new spiritual life. So, are the true worshipers found in Samaria, or are they found in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, neither one. True worshipers are those who worship in spirit. They have new spiritual life in Christ. Then Jesus said that the true worshipers worship in truth, which just refers to Jesus himself because he said, I am the truth. No one can worship God without the truth about Jesus, the truth that Jesus came to earth, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross as a substitute for our sin, that his body literally rose again, and then he returned to heaven, and that to be saved through Christ, each person must repent of their sin and believe the good news that Jesus died and rose again for them. That's the truth. And so again, no matter how fancy the the externals of worship might be, they don't matter without the truth of Jesus. And if we have not believed the truth about Jesus. So to worship in spirit and truth means to worship God through Jesus Christ, responding to the truth about Jesus, being born again by God's spirit because of Jesus. Many people know about Jesus and yet they trust their religious stuff. You see what I'm saying? It's not just people who don't know anything about Jesus who trust the religious stuff. Sometimes it's people who know about Jesus, but they still trust the buildings, the priests, the rituals. They trust the worship, and that will never work. You have to trust in Christ alone to save you and give you the living water of eternal life. Then you can begin to truly worship him. Are you a true worshiper in spirit and truth? Now, if we go back to our story, you might think, okay, wait a second, Pastor. How could the woman have known that Jesus was talking about himself when he said the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth? Well, first of all, there have been lots of clues. Because remember, he told her, what's shocking here isn't that I'm asking you for water, it's that you're not asking me for water and he told her that he gave her that he could give her living water and the gift of God and he told her that the water that he gave her would spring up to eternal life and be permanently thirst quenching and he told her that the hour was coming and was now here as he stood talking to her so there have been lots of clues but Jesus was not going to leave her with just clues he was actually going to tell this woman who he was As directly as he ever told anyone who he was. Because she was burdened, and he was here to give her rest. She was thirsty, and he was here to give her living water. She was spiritually dead, and he was going to bring her to life. So, verse 25 the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, He will tell us all things. And I'm pretty sure that what she's saying here is, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe there are some things I don't know. Remember he said to her, you worship what you don't know. I think she's saying, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe there are some things I I need to learn. But how could I know the Messiah hasn't come to teach us yet? And Jesus, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman was the first person to whom Jesus directly revealed himself as Messiah. And not only that, but if you're familiar with the I am statements in the Gospel of John, this is the first of them. When Jesus made those I am statements, he was echoing the language of the Old Testament, the name Yahweh, to indicate that he was God. There are two times when Jesus made an I am statement to an individual, both to women, and this is one of them. And the first I am statement in the Gospels. I who speak to you am he. The Messiah was talking to her. And why was he talking to her? The word, we kind of skipped over it back in verse 23. It's the word seeking. The Messiah was talking to this woman because God was seeking worshipers. Now, what does that mean? Most of you know that I play soccer And what I'm going to say next is ridiculous, but bear with me. Let's suppose that a scout from a professional soccer team shows up at our park and comes down to... You're laughing out loud. Come on now. (laughs) And he comes down to the fields where we're playing soccer. And he watches and he looks for the very best player there and says, we want you on our team. He is seeking soccer players. That is not at all what John 4 is talking about when it says that God is seeking worshipers. Jesus was not walking around Samaria trying to find somebody who was a great worshiper so that he could have them and his team. No, no, no. Jesus was coming to seek people who were not worshipers, who did not know the truth, who were not spiritually alive and to give them the gift of God, to give them eternal life, to make them a worshiper. Whether this woman's past was tragic or troubled, either way, Jesus knew all about it before the conversation ever began. And he didn't just accidentally come across her at that well. He came on a mission to give her the gift of God and to make her a shining testimony of God's goodness. And not only this, another awesome part of this passage, we're not really looking at these verses this morning so much, but we know that this brought Jesus great joy because verse 27 tells us that right then, his disciples got back from town with with lunch. And in verse 31, they urged him to eat. And in verse 32, he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And in verse 33, they said, Did somebody else bring him food? And in verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You've all done it. You've all been so into something that you just skipped right through a meal. Jesus was so joyful about giving this woman eternal life and making her into a true worshiper that it was better than any food the disciples could bring him, even at the middle of the day after a big, long morning hike. Jesus is truly a friend of sinners. Now, back to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? Now, pause there. Note the emphasis on the conversation. See, in in verse 26... I who speak to you am he. And in verse 27, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. And I think it's true that this is the longest individual conversation of Jesus ever recorded. It's with her. So Jesus' disciples came back right as he was telling her that he was the Messiah. Then, verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town. You know, it was not unusual at all for people in the Gospels when they began to understand who Jesus was to drop everything for Jesus. To leave behind the tax booth, the job, to leave behind the fishing nets, to leave behind the fields, to leave behind the water jar because Jesus was so compelling. You can see this water jar, not the real thing, but a painting of it, in our lobby, right? So the woman, verse 28, she left her water jar and she went away into town and she said to the people, verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So I hope you've stopped to look at the three art panels that are in the lobby and read through the brochure that explains the story that they tell. The panels are titled, Behold, Treasure, and Proclaim. And it's on that third panel that you see the picture of the woman and the water jar sitting there on the edge of the well as the woman hurries into town to say to her people, Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Why? She tells them what shocked her the most. He knew everything about me. He knew everything about me, yet he was willing to talk to me and even talk to me about faith and worship. He wanted to offer me the gift of God and living water and eternal life, even though he knew everything about me. Could this be the Christ? Now, the way she asked that shows that she's not yet quite sure of the answer, but she was learning. She was amazed and she had to go tell her town and she must have been persuasive. Because they came to see. And remember, she went to her town and said, Hey, come and listen to this Jew. And they came. And they didn't only come and see. Verse 39. Jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It it is an amazing surprise in the story that they asked Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Let me quote from Craig Keener. Keener is probably the leading expert on New Testament backgrounds today. And he writes this. For Jesus to lodge there, eating Samaritan food and and teaching Samaritans would be roughly equivalent to defying segregation in the United States during the 1950s or apartheid in South Africa in the 1980s. Shocking, extremely difficult, and somewhat dangerous. But that's exactly what Jesus did because he had come to seek and to save Worshippers who would worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship is entirely through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news that came to a village in Samaria where nobody expected it to come. Because Jesus is a great savior who loves great sinners and turns them into joyful worshipers. So verse 42, they said, this is indeed the savior of the world. Why the word indeed? Indeed because they're telling this woman, what you told us is true, which means she told them this must be the savior of the world. Now it's true that Jesus came and taught them, but it was her testimony that had the powerful impact that resulted in their salvation. That's why they say he is indeed the savior of the world, because she didn't just say to them, he told me all that I ever did. That was just her introduction to then tell them that he must be a great savior for someone like her and for anyone who would believe. See, you don't have to have a troubled or a tragic past to need Jesus. Each of us is a mess of sin and spiritual deadness. And so as other people in that town with other backgrounds and other stories heard what she was saying and came to see Jesus, they gave their lives to Jesus too. They believed in Jesus too. That's, that's how powerful her testimony was. And you can't miss this, how crazy this is. This was a day when you did not bring a woman to testify in court because her testimony had no value. What a woman said didn't matter in that culture. And yet when she came and told them about Jesus, it changed their lives. God was using her. Never doubt how God might use you. When he opened your eyes to Jesus, she was the first person recorded in the Gospels to have taken the good news of Jesus beyond the Jews, and it resulted in a village revival in Samaria. Samaritans believing in a Jewish rabbi. You know, based on what we've already learned in this series on worship, we can say that what she was doing there was worshiping. Remember, worship is the right response of man to God, right? And so when she believed in Jesus, that was the right response. That was worship. When she left her water jar behind, that was the right response. Drop everything for Jesus' sake. And when she went into town and risked sounding like a crazy lady to tell the Samaritans that they had to come here, this Jewish rabbi, that was the right thing to do in light of Jesus. That was worship. Jesus had come to seek worshipers, and she was already worshiping. He had already transformed this most unlikely of women into a powerful worshiper. He is a great Savior. So, in this story, we've seen the longest individual conversation with Jesus that was ever recorded, his first direct claim to be Messiah, his first I am statement, the first person who went beyond the Jews to tell people about Jesus. We've seen Jesus step right over boundaries of racism and culture and religious ceremony to seek and save the lost. We've seen a most unexpected person find life and hope and become a true and powerful worshiper. And the only reason why God preserved his word and why God made sure that this conversation and this story would be recorded was for you to hear it and respond to it. That's the only reason why it's here. It's final exam time, but we're not here in school. We're not working on a degree. I'm not grading anybody. I'm so thankful I don't have to grade. My Apologies to all of you teachers. That's not what this is about. It's about your life. Or your death your spiritual deadness and brokenness and burdens and who Jesus is and the fact that he came with the gift of God knowing everything about you even more than you know about yourself and he's seeking you or you wouldn't be sitting here hearing this this morning are you someone whom Jesus has come and saved and turned into a true worshiper who worships him in spirit and truth because you know the truth about Jesus and you believed it and he has caused you to be born again and you love Jesus. Let's pray.